Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. What is going on, Citizens Youth? How we doing? Good. How's everybody feeling? Scale of 1 to 10. How we feeling? You're like, all right, we got a couple of 10s in the room, a couple of 2s, whatever. Good to see you guys. All right, guys, it is Wednesday night, the best night of the week. Let's go. The sun is out. The sun is shining for the first time, I feel like, in forever. I walked outside a couple seconds ago. I was like, wow. I don't feel sad. It's not entirely cold and wet and rainy. That's okay. That's a really good thing. It was snowing this morning. Okay, raise your hand if there was snow on the ground where you lived this morning. That is crazy. Because what? I didn't see any snow either. Was there snow? Was I, was I imagining that? No? Wow. Did anyone get like school postponed or anything? Okay, good. that's good. Homeschoolers are like, my mom let me sleep in. That doesn't count. Does not count. All right. Well, it's good to see you guys tonight. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We are at the end of the chapter, uh, end of chapter 4 of Hebrews going into chapter 5 today. If uh, you're new tonight, if this is like your first time in church or if this is your first time at our youth ministry, just want to say welcome Super glad that you joined us tonight. There should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And uh, if you haven't, like, opened the Bible before, the book of Hebrews is towards the end. It's in the New Testament. You're, uh, someone sitting next to you might be able to uh, help you out a little bit if you don't know where it is. The text is also going to be on the screen. Uh, the Bible is an awesome book. Anyone? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. Let me say it again. The Bible is an awesome book. Awesome. All right. We're learning. We're working here. Uh, the Bible is 66 books or letters or poems or uh, historical narrative, whatever it may be, all different sorts of genres, all mixed together in one continuation of one story. And that's the story about Jesus. And we just celebrated Jesus' life, uh, death, and resurrection this weekend at Easter. And we had 14 teenagers get baptized this week here at Northwest Gospel Church. That's something to celebrate. All right, so many of you and your friends um, got in the tank. It's a pro public profession of an inward faith. That's all it is. All you're doing is saying, I'm following after Jesus. I want people to know it. I want people to see it. Um, it's a very public faith. It's not a personal, private faith. It's a communal faith. Um, so anyways, the book, uh, the Bible, uh, helps us understand who God is. Uh, the Bible helps gap our understanding between uh, a God who seems to be far off, and it actually reveals to us a very personable God, uh, a God who is walking with you and me, and that's the person named Jesus. And the book of Hebrews is all about how Jesus is greater. That's why our series is called Greater. Um, the whole book of Hebrews, uh, we don't know who the author was. It's a mystery. Um, it is clearly somebody who's well-versed in the Old Testament. They know lots of things going on in the Old Testament. They clearly were um, 
trained theologically or at least were um, with somebody or had learned from somebody who was trained theologically. And they are promoting this idea that Jesus is greater. He's greater than the traditions that their forefathers had gone through. He's greater than the people that uh, God had used in the past, like Moses and Abraham. He's greater than all those people. And you should follow after him. And I think that this theme should exist in our lives today. Jesus is greater. There's so many things that vie uh, for our attention that we want, we want to understand, we want to um, follow after. But there's only one thing that will sustain you, and that is a personal relationship with Jesus. So if it's your first time in the room, um, follow along with me as I read these first few verses. And um, God be with us today as we look at these passages, as we hear from you. I pray that the words that our students would hear tonight, it's not my opinion, not my perspective, not my ideas, not my personal agenda mixed into the text, but it would just be your truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, actually, before I read, I was just about to read, I forgot I want to tell you this story. Um, have you ever stood in the gap for somebody? And you're like, what does that mean? Have you ever stood in the gap for somebody? All right, let me explain. Has there ever been a moment in time where someone tapped you on the shoulder and asked you to appeal to an authority figure on their behalf? Has that ever happened before? Okay, you're like, yes, maybe once or twice. This has happened to me a few times. Um, in my family growing up, I'm the oldest of four. Um, so I've got three younger siblings. And um, there was always this thing that happened after Wednesday nights, after youth group. So I was in youth group like you guys. It was awesome. Um, so growing up in youth group, going to church, um, we played dodgeball for like two hours and then had like a little message. But anyways, we kind of do the reverse here. Um, anyways, um, I grew up going to youth group and after Wednesday nights, we would drive home and we would always, we lived probably a half a mile away from an ice cream stand called Little's. And it was awesome. And there was, there was ice cream, there were snow cones, there was all sorts of popsicles. It was great. And it was only open for like half the year. And so from like May until September or whatever, it was only open. So we would try to go a lot. And every Wednesday, we wouldn't go every Wednesday. This was a special treat, right? There's like six of us in the family. And um, we would try to appeal to our dad specifically on the way home all the time. Hey, can we stop at Little's, right? Or be like, hey, dad, you know what sounds good? Huh? Ice cream? We know you, you like ice cream. We like ice cream. We all like ice cream, all right? There's a song about it somewhere. Let's just go to Little's. It's not that far out of the way. We could walk to it if we wanted to. Um, so there was always this thing that would happen where, it, again, it wasn't a very frequent thing that we wouldn't go every single week. Um, but we would strategically choose which one of us in the family was going to ask dad if we could go to Little's. It was based on a few things. Number one, how good we were that week. But typically, what would happen is, as the oldest, I would make my requests known pretty frequently. My parents always used to say this thing that I've learned is like a thing they're like, Noah, we never have to guess what you're thinking. You always tell us. And I'm like, okay, are you sure? You heard what I said? And they're like, we always know what you're thinking because you're always telling us. Okay, so I would always say we should go to Littles. But my sisters, on the other hand, would, and especially my youngest sister, Ellie, she wouldn't always express her interests, right? She wouldn't always share those things. So strategically, me and my, uh, the sister closest to me, Emma, we would ask her to ask dad. 
So every often, every so often, we knew if we get her to ask, of course he'll cave. Of course he will, right? And it was even better, okay, sometimes we get our little brother in it, even though he's really young, sometimes we get our little sister on it. Whoever was good that week, whoever was on the, like, dad's good side that week, we'd be like, hey, ask him if we could go to Littles. And so that would frequently happen. I was very rarely the person that advocated for myself to go. I would always ask my siblings. Um, there's also moments in time where you need someone to stand in the gap for you, to vouch for you, for your character, or something that you've done, or something that you haven't done. Um, I'm like the worst at filling out reference forms. I'm so sorry. I know like, it's like, you must get a youth pastor to say it, and I always forget. Jackson, I'm sorry. I did it eventually, though. And you got the job. You're welcome. All right. Um, you need somebody to appeal to authority on your behalf. Okay, tell us about... Uh, you need somebody to appeal to authority on your behalf. Every single one of us at one point in time is going to need somebody to stand in the gap for us, whether it's a family member, whether it's somebody in authority, whether it's a principal, we should always have somebody standing before us. And the passage in Hebrews that we're about to read today speaks about the greatest gap of all time, the greatest gap in history, the longest distance between point A and point B. And that distance is by far the longest distance. And that is the distance between a sinful person and a perfect God. That distance is an insurmountable distance. There is sinful me struggling with everything I struggle with. And there's God over here who is perfect. All of his ways are perfect. Everything he has ever done is perfect. Everything he says is perfect. Everything he says is truth. And then there's me. I don't know if you've ever felt small. I don't know if you've ever felt like there's this big difference between you and God. But there is. But somebody has to stand in the gap. Throughout the Old Testament, there were advocates for humans that God uh, set up, and they were called priests. Priests would um, make sacrifices, live animal sacrifices, gross, right? Yes. Um, for the sins, to atone for the sins of men and women who are sinful. And in this passage we're going to read today, we're going to see that Jesus himself stood in the gap as an atoning sacrifice and as a high priest at the same time in history. All right, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is a distance between us and God. And tonight we're going to see three pictures of Jesus. Three pictures of Jesus portrayed in this text of him being our great high priest. Three different ways that Jesus stood in our place for us and advocates for us perfectly. Uh, we see Jesus as three different priests 
in this passage. First of all, we see him as the perfect priest. Verses 1, or excuse me, verses 14 through 16 show us Jesus is the perfect priest. So a priest was someone who stood in the gap for sinful people and a holy God. Um, this would take some diving into the Old Testament, which, by the way, is awesome and is like not as intimidating as you think. All right, if you ever look in the scriptures and you go to the Old Testament, you're like, I do not understand any of this. Trust me, there have been way smarter people who have asked those same questions. And so you're not dumb if you don't understand everything that's happening in the Old Testament. You're not like a lesser Christian. Um, but the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. And so um, after the time, excuse me, after the time of um, slavery in Egypt, God chose a, a line of priests, the Levites, to be an advocate for the sinful people of God. Now, God has always required for you and for me an atoning sacrifice for sins. And before Jesus, people ask all the time, well, how did people atone for their sins before Jesus? They had to have a priest. They had to have somebody stand in the gap. They had to have somebody advocating for them. So what did a priest do? Uh, a priest led worship and corporate prayer for the people of Israel in the temple. Uh, a priest led uh, corporate prayer and corporate worship. Uh, a priest was actually physically the one who was making these sacrifices. A priest would be um, somebody chosen uh, that had to ha live at a higher standard. They had to be set apart kind of from the rest of the people. They, they would have been seen as holy or religious or somebody who was doing the work of God on behalf of the sins uh, of the people. Um, they were appointed by the people to meet with God. They stood in the gap. They uh, required by God they would use animal sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. And once a year, the high priest who was in charge of all the other priests would get access for one day of the year called the Day of Atonement. They would get access into the Holy of Holies. Before God's Spirit was living inside of all of his, his people and all of his followers, God's Spirit was dwelling in the temple or in the tent of meeting behind the Holiest of Holies. And God's presence was there, like there, in this, behind this veil. It was the most sacred place for the Jewish people. And once, just once a year, after atoning sacrifices, a high priest could go and stand before God. I wonder what that was like to walk into the physical presence of God. They actually would tie a rope around these men just in case one of them had, uh, you know, died in the presence of God. And they would just kind of drag him out and be like, well, we need a new high priest. Okay. Um, God is holy is what I'm trying to say. But priests had to follow a very strict set of procedures. There was a ceremonial cleansing. There was a ceremonial sacrifice. There was a ceremonial uh, re-cleansing after a certain sacrifice. It was a long process. And it's estimated that millions and millions and millions of animals were slaughtered to atone for the sins of the Israelites before who? Jesus. And now this passage says, so picture that role of a priest. Picture that role of an advocate. Someone who is set apart, chosen by God and chosen by man to stand in the gap, to bridge these two things. And then we see Jesus, who is a great high priest. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, meaning uh, Jesus is from heaven, 
He was there at the creation of the world. He was dwelling with God the Father. He passed through the heavens down to earth. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. That, that word, right, the, the author's encouraging these people who are going through difficult times. He's saying, hold fast to these truths. Why? Because our high priest knows what it's like to be human. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but the key to this passage, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, How do you picture God? When you hear the word God, what do you think? Think about it. When you picture God or you think about God, what do you think about? Do you picture someone in the clouds somewhere? Do you picture like a lightning bolt coming down from heaven? Do you picture someone who's disappointed? Do you picture somebody who's holy? When you think about God, what do you think about? Listen to this verse. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. If you were to sit down to it with a, like at a dinner table with God, what do you think that would be like? Have you ever felt like a fish out of water kind of a little bit? Like you kind of go into a group of people and you're like, I am way different than these people. Has that ever happened to you? Okay, so like maybe you've been grouped up with someone in a group project or a group of people And you're just like, no, I got paired with the nerds and I am not a nerd. And they're talking about Star Wars and Star Trek and I don't know what to do. Or more likely in this room, knowing you guys, I got paired up with the jocks and I'm a nerd and I'm a proud nerd, right? This was more in my speed in high school. I'm like, why doesn't anyone want to talk about Star Wars? Why are we talking about this thing? Um, I don't know. Maybe you've been in a situation this happens with me, like, with musicians a lot. I, I, you know, my wife's a musician. I have really good friends who are musicians. And there's, there's very often moments where everyone in the room that I'm hanging out with knows how to play an instrument, produces music, sings, does something awesome. And they start talking about music, and I'm just like, that's great. I like listening to music a lot, but I don't know what you're talking about, man. This is all crazy. Keys and notes. What's that about, right? Okay. Um, All this to say, you probably find yourself at one point in time going, I am not like this person at all. I feel different. A lot of us, with our relationship with God, in a certain way, rightfully so, feel different, right? We're not God. We aren't God. You're not like God. You aren't God. But God was like us. God looked like us. God looks like us. God passed through the heavens to become like you and me. And God understands you. God understands what you're going through. God understands who you are. And God delights in you. Not because you like both like Star Wars or something, but because he knows what it's like to be a human. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, God knows what it's like to be tired. (laughs) Jesus knows what it's like to go through pain. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to be at the end of your rope. 
And if you feel any of those things ever, just know you have a high priest. Now, this is somebody who is high and above regular people. But he knows what it's like to suffer through temptation. He knows what it's like to suffer through pain. He is more like you than you realize. Not in his holiness or his existing perfectly, but he knows what it was like to become one of us. He was tempted in every single way. But here's the key difference. Yet without sin. Only a perfect priest could stand in the gap between us and a perfect God. If someone was going to try and bridge the gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, well, it had to be someone who was perfect, and it had to be someone who was also a man, and it had to be someone who was God, enters in Jesus. Why did Jesus have to be a man? Because he had to be one of us. Only a man could atone for sin. Why did he have to be perfect? Because only a perfect man could atone for a sin. It's a great mystery of the Jesus, the the God-man, the two-in-one existence of God. Look at what uh, it says. Here's an encouraging verse. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus bridged the gap between God and man, you and I have access to God's throne. A reference to God's throne room isn't like something that just like glance over in scripture. Uh, This is a very powerful thing. The throne room of God and the throne, this idea of where God dwells and where he rules from, it says, hey, Christian, fun fact, because of Jesus, you can run to that throne of what? Grace. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of destruction. It's not a throne of disappointment. It is a throne of grace. God rules from a position of grace. And because of Jesus, you have access to him. When? That we may find mercy and grace. So getting things we don't deserve and not getting things that we do deserve. Both of those things we have access to. When? In help. To help in time of need. Where do you go when you need help? Where do you go when you need help? Is it a person? Is it your phone? Social media? Substance? A drink? A vape? Where do you go when you need help? When you feel stressed out? When you're under attack? Who do you run to? What do you run to? Scripture tells us in those moments, with confidence, we can draw near to the throne of grace. There's this idea of like going before a holy God that kind of fills me with terror. But passages like this should encourage us. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, you and I confidently draw near to God's throne. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus, he is our perfect priest. All right, let's read uh, this next chapter. This is chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. The author is continuing this picture of Jesus as our priest who is appointed to us. It says this, For every high priest has been chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's an important verse there. Sacrifices for sin. There's always an exchange that needs to happen to atone for the guilt that I have in my life. 
um, verse 2. It says, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, Aaron was chosen to be, and the, from the line of Aaron came the, uh, the Levitical priests. Um, God has set up a line that was supposed to continue into the priesthood. And um, uh, this line was supposed to be the representation of um, the gap between God and man. Now, there was high priests throughout history that did not do a good job. There were uh, people who were priests that failed at their job. Um, this is speaking of a human priest, and they are, the author is making an argument here. Um, a human priest has to make sacrifices for the sins of his people, and he also has to make sacrifices for himself and his own family. This would happen. The high priest would have to sacrifice one of his own cattle before he could even then sacrifice someone else's um, cattle for the sins of the people. It was this whole long process because the priest first had to be pure before he could go before God to advocate for the purity of other people. Do you see where this is a little complicated? Um, but the author is saying one thing here. Uh, Jesus was our appointed priest. Jesus was our appointed priest. That's our next verse here. Jesus is the appointed priest. Uh, he was chosen. It says this, for every high priest was chosen among men. Um, priests... High priests specifically who were chosen and who were called to this ministry to serve and be an advocate for the people of God, um, they would have been viewed highly. This would have been something to hold with pride, um, not in themselves, but in God. This is something where they would have had to have uh, lived a high standard, a high moral standard. And it would have been something that people looked up to and respected. But our high priest was humiliated in taking his role as a priest. He is our greatest high priest, but he left the greatest throne ever to be our advocate. Jesus wasn't exalted in this title of high priest. He was humiliated. He wasn't exalted before people. People killed him. Look at this. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him. This is a key passage. God chooses Jesus to be our advocate. Uh, this are two references to the book of, um, or to the Psalms here. This is Psalm 2 and then Psalm um, 110. It says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right. These are two interesting references. Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 110. Both references to a Davidic king who's going to reign forever. And so the author of Hebrews here is pulling in all these Old Testament references from all over the Old Testament. And he's saying, look at all these things that we are seeing that Jesus has fulfilled. Look at all these things. Uh, you are my priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Does anyone know who that is? Um, you would be among many biblical scholars as well. Okay, Melchizedek is this very interesting character seen in the Old Testament in three verses. 
and then he's referenced like a million times later. And we're like, he was only in like three verses, man. Genesis 14, you're like, so much Old Testament. Yes, that's the book of Hebrews. Welcome. Genesis 14, Abraham is visited by this priest named Melchizedek. His name means mighty priest of God or mighty ruler of God or righteous king from God. Excuse me. Um, that's what his name means, Melchizedek. And he comes to Abram after Abraham defeats his enemies in this battle. He blesses Abraham, and then Abraham gives him a tithe, and then that's all we see of Melchizedek. We know he's a priest. We know he's a king. And then we know in Psalm chapter uh, 110 that this priest from the line of David is going to reign forever. So who else do we know who is a king, who was a priest, and is going to reign forever? Uh, you know this guy better. Say it out loud. Jesus. Okay, great. That's what the author is saying here. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Whew. Thank goodness, because we wouldn't want to worship a guy named Melchizedek. That'd be kind of weird, right? No worship songs would work. How are we supposed to sing to that guy, right? No thanks. Jesus sounds way better. Okay. Um, Jesus was our appointed priest. It's not Melchizedek. It's not Moses. It's not Abraham. It is Jesus. That is what the author, who is very well versed in the Old Testament, is saying to us today. Continuing on this passage, this is our last point, verses 7 through 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Being designated by God, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our perfect priest. Jesus is our appointed priest. But Jesus is the suffering priest. In the days of his flesh, meaning like when Jesus was a human, he was here and he's a human, but he's here on earth walking with us. It says he offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who were able to him who was able to save him from death. There's a beautiful picture of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. We just celebrated this on Good Friday. But Jesus is so stressed out. He has anxiety, not sinful anxiety, but just the like reality that he's going to be crucified for the sins of mankind. He is so distraught. He's sweating blood. He is crying. He is offering what it says here, loud cries and supplication through tears to God the Father saying, if it would be your will, please let this cup pass for me. And God says no. Because our high priest had to suffer. He didn't stay in the grave. But he had to go to it. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications to him who was able to save him. Only God could do it, but God allowed him to experience death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, God allowed his son to die. He allowed his son to suffer. He allowed him to turn his face in that moment. Why? Why? Why would God do this? Because we needed someone to stand in the gap. We needed somebody to go into the holiest of holies, the holiness of God in heaven, and say, hey, we need to let some of these guys in. We need these sinful human beings 
to be entered into our presence. But the only way for that to happen is for what verse 3 says, or excuse me, what verse 1 says, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. That's verse five, chapter 5, verse 1. A high priest was chosen from among men, was appointed to act on behalf of men, to do what? Offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And Jesus says, I will give you a great high priest who's going to do it once forever. He will make a sacrifice for sin. He will be the sacrifice for sin. And he will be the high priest that bridges the gap between these two worlds forever. And he's going to be the only way. He's not going to be like kind of the coolest way. He's going to be the only way. That's why Jesus had to suffer. That's why he had to die. That's why God allowed it to happen. He learned obedience through what he had suffered. Suffering has a role to play in the life of a Christian. So many people have issues with the existence of suffering and the existence of a perfect God. And I often look at that, and that's a great theological question we can talk through. But then I often ask the question, what about suffering happening to a perfect God? Okay, we don't like when bad things happen. We don't like when people get cancer and die or some horrendous tragedies happen. Yes, we hate that. That's awful. We don't like the existence of suffering. But the existence of suffering has a role to play in the life of a Christian. And in fact, the one who shouldn't have suffered, suffered the worst. What do we do with that? What do we say to that? And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest. Jesus had to suffer in order for us to have access to God. God's plan through suffering. God has a plan for your life. He loves you. He cares about you. But I would never tell you that he doesn't have some form of suffering in mind for you. You're like, well, that's not very encouraging. It's not. I'm sorry. But it's true. But there is substantial growth that happens from suffering. We see this in James chapter 1. We see this all around the New Testament. Encouragement to believers to endure long suffering because they will receive something greater. And that charge is still the same. There will be suffering in the life of a Christian. But it won't be pointless. It won't be meaningless. It won't be just nonchalant. God will be using it to do what? Make you a better servant. And being made perfect, talking about Jesus, he became the source of eternal salvation. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Some people would look at this passage and say, see, Jesus was just a man who had to become like God or he had to learn obedience. What this passage is saying is that Jesus became more and more and more and more obedient to the point of death. So he could accomplish obedience in its perfect form. He was always perfect, but with every action, he became more perfect in his obedience. That's what this passage is saying. Um, it's not saying he had to like learn how to be a good person. He had to learn how to be God. No, uh, that's not what it's saying. But through his continual perfectness and becoming perfect, he became a perfect sacrifice. So if you think in your day and age, that you shouldn't suffer because you're a Christian, because you're a Christian, good things should happen to you, I would look to the life of Jesus and just think a little bit more about that.
God does love you. He does care about you. There is a role to play in the life of a Christian for suffering. So what does all this passage have to say for us? What do all these words mean? It means one thing. Uh, You and I need someone to stand in the gap. You and I need somebody to go to God on our behalf. And it can't be me. (laughs) Can't be you. Even the high priest had to make a sacrifice for himself. So who's going to stand in the gap for you? It has to be Christ. It has to be. Jesus bridges the gap between us and God. It's the main idea of this passage. Jesus bridges the gap between us and God. There's some exhortations in here that I think we should highlight. Let us hold fast to our confession. Draw near to the throne of grace. Those are the two main ones that we see at the very beginning of this passage. Because Jesus stands in the gap between us and God. We can hold fast to our confession of faith and we can hold fast to our confidence. Do not go anywhere else. Any, a- anything else that this world offers you, tries to show you, tries to tell you, is going to provide some sort of joy, will only lead you to suffering. But with confidence, we can draw near to the throne of grace. Jesus, our suffering priest, our appointed priest, and our perfect priest. The only one who can stand in the gap. And so I wonder if there's someone in the room who doesn't know that priest, who doesn't know who Jesus is. And maybe today is the day you could be introduced to him. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful. Uh, We know that there is nobody who could have done There's none of us in this room who could do what you've done. Um, We're thankful that you did suffer on our behalf. We're thankful that you continually learned obedience through suffering. And I pray for the person in the room right now who is just like thinking of these things for the first time. They're like maybe just realizing that they do sin. And they're maybe just realizing that they should do something about it or there has to be something to be done about it. God, I pray that they would look at verses like uh, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1 and see that there has to be a sacrifice for sin. But then they would continue to look at these verses and realize that you have been that. Uh, God, we picture you as a reigning king. But we picture you with a crown, not of gold, but a crown of thorns. We picture you as a high priest who's not making a sacrifice on our behalf, but who is being sacrificed on our behalf. And as we exist in such a different world, uh, I pray that you would help us to contextualize that and realize that and see that in our own day and age. We'd be thankful for that. We wouldn't take for granted. We wouldn't run to prayer as this like willy-nilly, like, oh, cool, I get to talk to God. But we would know that there was such pain and difficulty that went through this process to make us your sons and daughters. And I pray for the person in the room right now who thinks that they've gone too far and that they can't be saved. I pray that you would remind them uh, that you went to extreme lengths to make sure that whatever version of sin they bring to the table was covered. I pray that they would believe that today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.